Pete Buttigieg is using tax dollars to make female crash test dummies. Yeah, they're going to make crash test dummies. They're going to make females, not just males, as they currently have. You cannot make this stuff up. Supposedly, this is going to eliminate gen- – they're saying car crashes are bigots. Car crashes are not woke enough. Car crashes are bigoted against females. This is what they're saying. There, there, there are gender inequalities in car crashes. So the woke, woke mob now is upset that the dummies they use to test out crash crashes of cars are male and not female. Then they wonder why the country is falling apart. They say somehow there's inequality. Women are getting injured disproportionately as opposed to men. And the reason is, I don't even know if that's true, by the way. The reason is, if it is true, that the crash test dummies that they're using are male and not female. Literally, Democrat Congresswoman Rosa DeLauro, she praised Buttigieg. She says Buttigieg is now going to use female crash test dummies to address gender inequity. I mean, this is madness. We've got train derailments with toxic chemicals exploding. We've got airline glitches, planes being grounded, massive supply chain crisis, baby formula shortage. But they're using quotas now. They're using affirmative action, not just to decide who to hire, but to decide which gender the crash test dummies should be. This is how woke they've become. Like the dummy here, there's only one dummy here. That, that That is Pete Buttigieg. All right, so we've got a lot to get to. All right, let's start with COVID. And we told you the New York Times made some stunning admissions about COVID and about Sweden's policy. And look, we're never going to have any definitive answers, it seems. But when you have people like the New York Times, people who are so pro-lockdown and so pro-mandate, basically conceding that the Swedish approach may not have been a bad approach, may have even been a good approach, may have been effective. Uh, that is pretty astonishing. And before that, you know, there's a new bombshell also related to COVID, which is that EcoHealth Alliance, literally, we now have proof, hard evidence that EcoHealth Alliance was colluding with the Wuhan lab to create coronaviruses or to make coronaviruses much more dangerous to humans. So this bombshell report is being completely ignored by the media. No surprise there. EcoHealth Alliance and the Wuhan Institute of Virology, they collaborated. And this is years before the COVID, va- the, the, the COVID virus was released, co- collaborated to, to make a mutant COVID strain in order to predict the capacity of coronaviruses to infect humans. This came from Judicial Watch. They reviewed 552 pages that were given to them from the HHS, the U.S., uh, the Department of Health and Human Services. They got this, of course, through the Freedom of Information Act and literally government documents. This is an application uh, that was for a grant from the NIH from EcoHealth Alliance where they say we want to figure out how the capability of coronaviruses to infect humans. Essentially, what they're saying is that they were experimenting, that they were developing coronaviruses. And it gets, by the way, more shocking. This is going to make your hair stand on end when I tell you how eerily this shows us that this was really a precursor to the COVID virus, if not the actual COVID virus that was developed using government tax dollars, using American Tax dollars, yours and my tax dollars, because what happened was they applied for this grant. This is in 2013. So these documents are from 2013. And they said, we want to experiment in the Wuhan lab to figure out how to make how capable these these coronaviruses are and infecting humans. And basically, at which point we can make them more capable. They claim, of course, that they're doing it for safety purposes and they're doing it because they want to prevent coronavirus is being transmitted to humans. But listen to this. Here are some quotes here. EcoHealth plans to sequence a spike protein 
from coronaviruses obtained from bats for the purpose of, quote, creating, there's a direct quote, creating mutants to identify how significantly each one would need to evolve to use ACE2, which is the receptor to gain entry to human cells. Without getting too far into the weeds here, the ACE2 receptor, ACE stands for angiotensin uh, creating enzyme, okay? The ACE2 enzyme, that's the literally what they said they, they wanted to use in order to bind the virus to the human cell. The ACE2 enzyme is located in human cells. We all have them. Well, th- that's the receptor. They were saying this in this application back in 2013, uh, and the question is how do we make these viruses mutate in order to gain entry through the ACE2 enzyme? Here's the thing. ACE2 is the enzyme that COVID uses to bind to the human cell. So you literally have, I don't know how this is not a bigger story here. Well, we know why, because it gets suppressed and buried. We literally have an application by EcoHealth Alliance, the American experiment company, right? The the, the American uh, agency that's getting tax dollars from Fauci working in the Wuhan lab saying we want to experiment with coronaviruses. This is in 2013 to see how to, how, how what it would take to get them to be able to enter the human cell using the ACE2 enzyme. And literally, that's exactly how COVID got in back. When COVID released in 2019 and 2020, COVID attains entry into the human cell through the ACE2 enzyme. So could we have any further, do we need any further proof that EcoHealth Alliance collaborated with Wuhan, with China, literally to develop the COVID virus? As I said, to get to this New York Times story for just a moment, New York Times, they they talked about Sweden. And of course, Sweden did not lock down. They're pretty much the only country that did not lock down. And number one, and this is not in the New York Times, but this is in the piece that I was looking at that discusses the New York Times in Sweden. Modelers predicted that Sweden, remember, people got outraged at Sweden for following essentially what was the Great Barrington Declaration, which was, you know, try to isolate elderly people, try to isolate people at high risk and let other people go about their lives, recommend what they should do, social distancing and masking and everything else, but don't enforce it, don't mandate it. And modelers predicted that Sweden would suffer 96,000 deaths by July of 2020. And look, one death is too much. And COVID, it was a horrible tragedy. It was a horrific, unspeakable tragedy. Rahman al-Atlan, I don't want to minimize it in any way. Every death is too much. But we have to sort of analyze the data, the numbers, the outcomes to try to figure out. And of course, the government's not helping with this one bit to try to figure out how we could have responded better, how to handle this kind of thing, situation if it happens again or something similar. So modelers predicted Sweden would suffer 96,000 deaths by July of 2020 if they didn't lock down. They did not lock down. Remember, people were furious. I myself, I said, wow, how could Sweden do this? How could they be so cruel? And the death count by July 2020 was 5,700. Okay, modelers were so way off here. They predicted 96,000 deaths by July back in 2020. The actual number was 5,700. So as this piece says, whether one accepts claims Sweden had the lowest excess death toll in Europe or merely was average, clearly the modelers are horribly wrong because Sweden, they're basically, there are um, scientists out there, researchers who say that Sweden had the lowest excess death toll in Europe, but that's a little bit controversial. That's not, you know, whenever you have numbers of these sizes and you you, you try to run the data, it, it's you're never going to have a total agreement. There's going to be different studies, you know, that that, that show, uh, you know, different analyses that show different results. But here's the debate, okay? The debate is, uh, did masking, because Sweden did so much better than anybody thought they would then any of the experts, I should say, thought they would do. And now the experts are looking at it and saying, wow, OK, this did not. Ha- we, we thought that, that that Sweden would be so much worse than all the other countries that locked down and that had mandates. 
So here's the debate. The debate is, is it that masking and distancing, social distancing didn't help? Or is it that people in Sweden, they just follow the rules without being forced? That social, in other words, you look at Sweden, it did not perform worse than any other countries. There is debate. Some people say Sweden did better than a lot of the other countries in Europe, similar countries, but it did not do worse. So the question is, why did Sweden not do worse? They didn't lock down. They didn't have mask mandates. They didn't force people to socially distance. So either because they told people, listen, this is what we recommend, and Swedish citizens are just really good at following the rules, there really is a thought out there that that's what happened, or just masking and social distancing did not help. And we know now there's so many, uh, you know, so many studies and so much evidence that they may not have worked. They may, they may not have done anything because COVID eventually spreads one way or the other. So the New York Times included, included a quote from somebody named Dr. Francois Ballou uh, at the University College London. And he said, quote, what the Swedish model really suggests is that pandemic mitigation measures can be effectively deployed in a respectful, largely non-coercive way. Okay, so this is the New York Times. And the piece that I read is saying this is a stunning admission. The New York Times is never going to say we were wrong. They sort of did about the mask mandates, which was shocking. But they're never going to say, oh, we were wrong about Sweden. We're sorry. We apologize. We were so way off. They're not going to say that. So you have to look at they say it in a much more subtle way. Right. So here's what they said. The New York Times quoted this doctor. This doctor said, quote, what the Swedish model, model suggests is pandemic mitigation measures can be effectively deployed in a respectful, largely non-coercive way, end quote. That's a quote, the New York Times quotes from this Dr. Balu. And as this piece points out, it's as close to an admission of sorry we were wrong as we're going to see from the New York Times. Because what they're saying is lockdowns, mandates, whether you say it's because the rules made no sense, because the rules didn't have any impact, because there was no data to back it up, or whether you say, yeah, listen, masking, socially distancing, that made sense, but you need to just ask people to do it and to follow. You don't force them. And in fact, forcing people may have a, a counterproductive effect, as sadly we saw in many places. So that is pretty astonishing. All right. As I mentioned, and of course, Fox had, Fox News had this settlement, this bombshell settlement with Dominion, the voting machine company. So we will get to that coming up. Also, Trump and DeSantis are still at each other's throats. So it is pretty interesting. We'll get to that. But I, I want to respond to a caller, as I said last time. You know, a caller basically said, we keep t- telling you about these woke leftists, these socialists, like this new mayor-elect in Chicago. They want to send social workers to crime scenes. They say, no, we don't. We shouldn't. We send out police too much. We shouldn't be sending so many police officers to crime scenes. All they do is shoot people. All they do is shoot black people. Police are racist. So let's then send social workers. Let's send mental health workers to these crime scenes instead, because after all, all these crimes are caused caused by people who are mentally ill and who are mentally deranged. So that's absurd. It's ludicrous and it's dangerous. And uh, a, a caller called called me up and left a message saying, listen, um, you know, he, he talked about a specific case with what Hatzalah was called. He talked about a certain yeshiva bacher who, Rahman al-Tan, actually sounds like a pretty sad story. And I'm not sure how common this type of thing is, but basically this, this yeshiva bacher had a mental breakdown or tends to have mental breakdowns where he can get violent. It sounds like he's a good person. He doesn't mean any harm, but he has some sort of emotional or mental breakdown. And obviously you need to consult with experts about what exactly what was happening here. But he, uh, he, he, it's some sort of mental illness or mental health issue where he'll break down in yeshiva and he'll start, I guess, assaulting people or attacking people or getting violent. And Hatzalah has to be called. And it's a mental health issue, and I, I don't know how common or uncommon it is, but the, but, but, but the caller's point was, 
Hatzalah comes, Hatzalah is in contact with mental health experts, and they're dealing with this as a mental health crisis because that's what it is. This is not a bad person, a malicious person, somebody who's looking to shoot people, somebody who's trying to steal money or trying to mug people or hurt people or or or, or, or wants to, you know, d- decides he just wants to go on a shooting spree. This is just somebody who has some sort of mental illness that he's struggling with. So doesn't it make sense to call a mental health official? And that was the point. And the uh, the caller conceded. He said, "Social worker probably doesn't make sense. You need somebody higher level than that. But a psychologist, a psychiatrist, an M- an MD or a PhD, somebody a very high level mental health professional." And the caller's like his, his the the question essentially framed was framed as follows: Since it's a mental health issue that's causing the violence, doesn't it make sense to call mental health professionals? And here's what I realize I need to explain. And some people maybe realize this, but some people don't. This the, the the issue here is not a mental health issue. The issue is when there's a violent situation, a dangerous situation, where there's somebody who's actually in danger, you need to send in the police. This is triage, okay? This is an emergency, and you need to send in the police. And the proof is, by the way, and, and the caller alluded to this, they're calling Hatzalah, okay? They're calling Hatzalah. Obviously, if Hatzalah couldn't handle it, they would call the police or they'd call somebody more equipped. But they're not calling mental health people. They're calling Hatzalah because they need to, you know, they they, they need to basically – Right, uh, take take this person, get this person under control. Right, they need to restrain this person, physically restrain this person. So I understand they're not calling the police on a yeshiva guy. Hopefully, uh, that's not necessary. It doesn't come to that. If it did, what can you do? Right, you need to be able to restrain the person. But the point is, they're not calling the psychologist and saying, "Hey, can you come here and deal with this person who's violent?" So let me give you like the analogy. The analogy would be. Let's say somebody has some sort of mental illness where they bang their head against the wall or where they injure themselves or where they slash themselves, right? And now they're bleeding, right? So you say, well, this person's bleeding. We need to get him help, right? So let's call a psychologist because it's a mental health problem that caused him to be bleeding. So let's call a psychologist. Obviously, it doesn't make any sense. Obviously, it started from a mental health problem. That's at its core. That's what it is. But right now, he's bleeding. So you need to call an ambulance, you need to call a first responder, you need to call EMS, you need to call somebody, or Hatzalda, you need to call somebody who can stop the bleeding, right? So even though, yeah, it, it comes from a mental health problem, but the issue right now is not a mental health problem, the issue is a, a, a much more serious crisis, and somebody's whose life is in danger. So at that point, you don't call the mental health professional just because the mental health issue is the issue that prompted it all. And, and that's the point. The point is the woke left, the socialists, they're using this mental health stuff as an excuse. They're using it as a pretext. In fact, what the caller said, and I understand that he meant very sincerely, and he even made a comment at one point. He said, listen, send two or three police. I'm not saying send no police. So the caller wasn't that naive. I get it. I mean this in a respectful way. I totally understand what the caller was coming from. But I just I want to explain. He kind of fell into the trap of the left, which is it's a mental health crisis. Well, if it's mental, this person's mentally ill. Most people who commit these crimes, I would argue, are mentally ill. I mean, in order to commit a lot of these crimes, you know, you violently attack somebody. I'm not talking about where you try to steal money and you're trying to do it to make an easy few bucks. I'm talking about where where you just attack somebody for no reason. That kind of thing happens all the time. Those people, this is what I keep saying. Those people are mentally ill. It's like when they keep them out of jail and say, listen, they're, they're unfit for trial, to stand trial because they're mentally ill. If that's going to be the rule, you could basically acquit almost anybody because so many of these people are mentally ill. That's what made them do this thing. They're a danger to society. So the woke, the leftist, the social, what they're doing is what they're saying is, listen, it's a mental health problem. Therefore, let's not send in the cops. Well, this mental health problem is now causing this person to go around on a barrage and go around hurting people and go around shooting people or doing who knows what, what, what to people. And you're saying, well, but it, we need to send in a social worker. So that's the point. The point is, yes, technically, you might be right that it's coming from a mental health issue. 
but but right now it, it, the person's violent. Right now the person's dangerous, and and you gotta lock him up. And it's like, well, but it's coming from mental health. I don't care what it's coming from. He needs to be locked up. He's hurting people. He's a danger to people. And you need to call the cops. You need to call as many cops as necessary to restrain the person and to get the person to you know to to to, to make the situation safe. So yeah, it's not about well. But isn't it a mental health guy? And, and of course they should be discussing it with professionals. And they've been doing that, by the way. They've been doing that for years. You know, don't believe this media narrative like, oh, the cops just come in and they just want to shoot people, especially minorities, and they don't want to actually help. Okay, they, they're on the phone with psychologists and psychiatrists, and they bring them down to these, to these scenes. And, and of course they're following their expertise. That's already being done. All that's being done. Well, the, the, what, what the left wants to do is they want to stop the police. They want to say no police. And the reason is because they don't like police, because police are the good guys, because police actually prevent the crime. And these people, they, they for some reason want anarchy and want crime to be you know, just rampant everywhere. And they're pro-criminal for whatever insane reason. And they use mental health. Well, they can't just say, you know what, we don't want the police because we want people to commit crime. They can't say that. So what they say is, oh, mental health. It's a mental health crisis. Uh, yeah, this person's going around with a knife and attacking people randomly at a mall. But look, he's mentally ill. So who are you going to send? The cops? Well, do you think a social worker is going to be able to stop him with the knife? Well, no, but the social worker, after years of therapy, will be able to hopefully calm him down a little bit. And he, he, does, he no longer goes on these sprees of violence. Well, that's going to help you right now when this person is literally endangering little children and women and families. So I hope that answer sort of clarifies that. And I appreciate that question. OK, so Fox News settled with. Dominion, the Dominion company. Dominion, of course, makes the voting machines. And here's where I find this interesting. I'm not sure everybody's going to agree with me. You know, obviously, people on the left are saying, all right, this is a big victory because it shows you that Biden didn't cheat and the election results were genuine and Biden really won fairly. And, uh, you know, Sidney Powell, Rudy Giuliani, the lawyers who claimed that uh, Biden stole the election. Well, now this proves Biden did not steal the election because Dominion, this was a, a lawsuit about defamation and libel. And what they're saying is, look, obviously Fox admitted $787 million. That's a lot of money. And Dominion, you know, they sued Newsmax, they sued other, you know, news, news outlets. And they're insisting, listen, we, we did not, our, our, our machines were not glitchy. Our machines did not malfunction. Our machines were not reprogrammed, uh, to help Biden win, um, steal the election. None of that happened. And now we have, Fox News, they were the trial was about to begin and they settled for seven hundred eighty seven million dollars. Can you not have a bigger admission that, listen, when we reported, when we we claimed that uh, that the Dominion voting machines stole the election for Biden, that turns out to be false. Okay, it it certainly sounds like an admission. Now, number one, that does not mean that the election was not stolen because there were all sorts of other shenanigans. We're not going to rehash that right at this moment. But, you know, but we know about uh, all the counting that happened in the middle of the night. We know about the mail-in ballots and about you know, the lack of accountability proving that the mail-in ballots were accurate and that th- they weren't stuffed. And we know about 2,000 mules. And, like, there, were, there was so much rampant evidence of cheating that, you know, was never investigated, never looked into because anybody who claimed that the election was stolen was ridiculed. And then January 6th happened. And then A.G. Barr you know, he said that there was no evidence as though they had conducted. It takes them years to conduct any sort of investigation. But like A.G. Barr, after, like three weeks after the election, oh, we found no evidence that the election was stolen. You know, clearly he just wanted to just stop Trump from making the claims that the election was stolen and just, you know, wanted uh, the establishment to make sure that he didn't associate with Trump's 
accusations that the election was stolen. So like there's so many other ways the election could have been stolen aside from the Dominion voting machine and, and the, the Dominion voting system. So this is not an admi- this this may be an admission. And I think it is that the Dominion voting machines, for the most part, were accurate or the claims against them were baseless. So there was pretty much no evidence that the Dominion voting machines were used to somehow cheat or unfairly give an edge to Biden. But that doesn't mean the election wasn't stolen, okay? It just means that it wasn't stolen using Dominion machines. That's number one. But as far as the overall um, the settlement here and the claims about the Dominion voting machines, here's where I find what I find very interesting. Um, you know, when I looked into this, you know, we obviously covered this story as it happened, right? As it all unfolded back in November 2020. And I was obviously on top of all of this. And anything I read, anytime I looked, you know, we told you about all the allegations of cheating and, you know, the stuff I just talked about, the mail-in ballots and the mules and all of that stuff. If you'll notice, if you go back to then, to November 2020, you know, I, I, I mentioned the Dominion voting systems. And what I said at the time was I said, I have not seen evidence that the Dominion voting machines were somehow glitchy or malfunctioned or stole votes from Trump and gave them to Biden. I, I, that was the claim. I mentioned those claims because obviously – those are very, very, you know, shocking allegations that need to be brought up. But I said, I don't see it. I was focusing on the other cheating, you know, and, and the other and the mail-in ballots and all of that. But I did not focus. I said, listen, I'm going to mention this because Powell's saying it, Giuliani's saying it, but I'm not seeing any evidence to support it. OK, and, and again, I'm not this is not me trying to brag and toot my own horn and say, oh, look, you see that I was on top of this. I got it right from the beginning. What it is is that I'm happy, I'm relieved that it looks like the system works. You know, this actually reinforces to me that all the other allegations, you don't see them making settlements about all the other allegations. You don't see 2,000 mules, Dinesh D'Souza being sued, right? But you do see uh, Fox News being sued. Now, why is that? Because evidently they got this part wrong. Evidently, the Dominion machines are, for the most part, accurate. Look, I'm sure that, you know, there are glitches. I'm sure that there are – we know about issues. We know that there are malfunctions. It's a machine, any machine – is going to have glitches. But for the most part, you know, when we looked at this storyline back then, I took, I broke it apart and I said, I'm not seeing this. I know they're making these claims, so they're not backing this, these claims up with any real evidence. So even at the time, the way it struck me was, you know what? This does, the, these allegations, the other allegations seem like they have a lot of strong basis. They have a lot of teeth to them. And these allegations about the Dominion systems, I'm just not seeing it. So I mentioned that at the time. That's what struck me. And what that tells me is that, you know, very often it's hard to make up stories because there's going to be someone out there either who files a lawsuit or there are going to be people, be people out there who tell the truth and say, listen, this is simply not accurate. So if there's widespread mass fraud being done with these machines, it, there's going to be more than just one lawyer who's kind of ranting and yelling about it. That 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 was what struck me, and and with no evidence to actually back it up. So I feel like this shows that the system works. Yes, perhaps the Dominion machines; those claims were false. Doesn't mean the election was not stolen. But I feel like you know when you read these stories carefully and you listen to the actual facts, very often it doesn't mean always because obviously there are people out there who have all sorts of agendas. But very often. You can kind of get to the bottom of things you know, if you're objective and you think about things carefully and you walk in without an agenda. Uh, Twitter, this is pretty funny. Twitter is now starting to label, you know, they're doing the whole thing with the blue check marks, charging people for blue check marks to as, as verification. A lot of people on the left are upset about that. Elon Musk doing that. But what's interesting is Elon Musk now has Twitter. You got to love it. I mean, you got to love what you're seeing. Elon Musk to me is like the Trump of the business world. And, you know, I know that Trump is also a businessman, but like what, what Elon Musk is doing with Twitter and social media, he's just having fun. He's just and, and at the same time, he's making some very strong points and he's discrediting the people who deserve to be discredited. But now he's labeling 
public media, publicly funded media as government funded. So we're talking about, and, and that's absolutely correct, because it's almost like state controlled media with Iran. You have these, the, you, you literally have these broadcasting companies, these television and radio stations that are funded by the government and they claim to be news organizations and they're not news organizations, they're state controlled media. So that's true with NPR, National Public Radio in America, that's BBC in, in, in the UK, C, the CBC, the Canadian Broadcasting Company, they're state controlled, government funded media. So now he's labeled, Twitter is labeling them government funded. And what's really funny is that uh, you have you have the CBC Canadian Broadcasting Company. They responded to Elon Musk and they said, "We're not fully government funded. We're only partially government funded." So he said, "Well, how, how what percentage are you government funded?" They said, "Below seventy percent. We're 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 below we're, our government funding is below below seventy percent of our total budget are, uh, is funded by the Canadian government." So Elon Musk he said, "All right, fine, no problem. I'll I'll change the label," and he changed the label to. 69% government funded. The CBC, the Canadian Broadcasting Company, is 69% government funded. That's literally what he has written on their Twitter handle. So that is beautiful. We're going to get to DeSantis and Trump in just a moment. But I did want to mention one other thing about COVID. I, I'm never sure if I should mention this or not, but I kind of feel like I need to. And number one, disclaimer I always give, do not take any sort of medical advice from me. Do not even think about it. Do your own research. I'm only sharing with you my thoughts, my observations, and a lot of it is anecdotal. And I really don't know. And sometimes I come across strong and I sound like I know. I don't know. I'm passionate, so I come across that way. But I have no idea. I really have no idea. But it's just about the vaccine for just a moment, the COVID vaccine. And that is that there are some things out there that should be spread. They should be everywhere. They should be posted on every billboard in America, and yet it's being suppressed. And that really frightens me. And and, and I feel like doctors, you know, and, and we know that doctors are, are incentivized to give vaccines. And look, that's part of the culture. We can get into that whole debate a different time. But two facts here. Fact number one is uh, in the UK, the COVID vaccine has been banned for people under 50, unless unless they're healthcare workers or unless they're high risk. If somebody right now is 45 years old in the UK and they want the COVID vaccine and they're healthy, they cannot get the COVID vaccine. What does that tell you? And obviously the reason is because they feel that there are risks. So the question is, do the benefits outweigh the risks? At this point, Baruch Hashem, the, the risk of COVID for somebody young and healthy is very low. And the vaccine also comes with risks. So literally in the UK, how is this not being spread all over the United States, even if they're not going to ban it in the United States like they did in the UK? But the fact that the UK, the UK, the UK is quite liberal. The UK is quite, the UK is quite pro, wow, that sentence is hard to get out. The UK is quite pro-vaccine. And under 50, unless somebody is a healthcare worker or a high risk, they cannot get the COVID vaccine if they want to. It's been banned. Okay. How is that not story being more widespread? Okay. And, and does that mean that you should not get the COVID vaccine? It means you should discuss it with your doctor. And it means, you know, or discuss it with somebody you trust, discuss it with your rub. Don't listen to me. And, and I'm not even telling you what to do, but I'm just telling you a fact. And like, it's a really crucial fact. The other fact is the CDC now says that the CDC, the United States CDC says that children under 18, it no longer recommends the COVID vaccine for children under 18. Again, meaning it's not banned. They're not necessarily recommending against, but that's huge. That's a bombshell that the, the U.S. CDC has come out several weeks ago and said, children under 18, we don't recommend the COVID vaccine. So I, I believe, and if I'm wrong, I'm wrong, but I think that a lot of doctors and pediatricians out there in the United States they're just giving the COVID vaccine to kids under 18. How did, number one, how did they in good conscience give it? And number two, did they say to the parent, and, and, and I understand in our community, it's probably much less prevalent, but like, how does a parent 
not know to say to the parent, by the way, the CDC is no longer recommending this for your child or for a child your age. Like, like, like this is huge. These are bombshells. And just the other thing, and I'm reluctant to mention it, but I'll just very quickly, <laughs> as, though make, as though mentioning it quickly makes a difference, right? But, you know, there are these stories about people dying suddenly, Rahman about people in their 40s um, and 30s. I'm not even talking about Yidin right now. There are just stories out there in general of just people dying kind of in mysterious ways. And it's almost impossible to know. You need data. You need hard numbers. So, you know, maybe it's being reported more now because of COVID, because of the vaccine. So we don't know. You know, In other words, it might be anecdotal. It could be that there is no uh, stronger trend than there was previously of people young who are just kind of dying suddenly, heart issues and that sort of thing. We don't know if the if there's data to back it up, but it just kind of seems that way anecdotally. But I just want to share with you, you know, I was talking about this with my son and, you know, Brock Shem, very astute, you know, very analytical. And he said to me, he said, well, maybe it's COVID. Maybe it's not the COVID vaccine. Maybe it's COVID itself that's causing these types of things. Maybe it's like long COVID or COVID causes some kind of heart issues, something like that. And I said back, OK, that may be. I don't know, but that could be. But then shouldn't the government and the NIH, CDC, shouldn't they be investigating that and saying, hey, people, Maybe COVID, in other words, shouldn't they be telling every 30-year-old, 25-year-old who had COVID, hey, you better get your heart checked out, better go to a cardiologist. They're not recommending. In other words, get the data. Whatever the reason is, this is something that's scary. Again, you could tell me that, no, it's just anecdotal and it's just our perception and there, there, there is not a greater uh, number of deaths in young people died suddenly. That's possible. But if we're going to concede, hey, maybe this seems to short, sort of be happening an awful lot, seems a little bit strange, well, then we've got to analyze the data. Now, if the data shows that, well, it doesn't mean it's the vaccine. It means it's co- it might be COVID. Okay, well, it's something. In other words, if the CDC really cared about protecting people's health, then, number one, they would look into this. They would get the numbers, which they're terrible at doing. I've criticized them. I've blasted them again and again that they give us no data, and they're, they're, they, whether they have it or they, and they suppress it or they don't even bother to collect it, I don't know. Not that I trust their data anyway. And number two, whatever the reason is, you need to then warn people, hey, this is a problem. If you, if you don't have an agenda, then that's what you'd be doing. But, of course, we know that they have an agenda. All right. Uh, DeSantis and Trump, it's getting late here. But uh, DeSantis released a new ad targeting Trump. And basically, it starts off with – this is, a, by the way, a vicious ad. And I understand that you're going to tell me, well, listen, Trump – does a lot of vicious things to DeSantis. So we're seeing here, DeSantis is not even in the race yet, and things are getting quite ugly. But it's fine. Let's just, you know, it's going to happen, so let's just kind of sit back and enjoy it. I don't know. So uh, this ad begins with Trump, a picture of Trump sitting in the courtroom being indicted, okay? It doesn't get any more vicious or dirty than DeSantis putting out an ad. And, and it's DeSantis, it's the, it's his pack, but that's the same thing. DeSantis putting out an ad about Trump, starting with a picture of Trump sitting in court being indicted. And then he says the Democrats are attacking Trump or whatever. The narrator says Democrats are attacking Trump. So why is Trump attacking Republicans? And here's what bothers me. So, look, we're going to sit back and I'm not going to sit here every time and say, listen, they shouldn't be attacking each other. I'm not going to do that. We're just going to kind of ride, you know, roll with it, ride with it. And uh, like I said, sit back, get the popcorn out. But here's the thing. You show the picture of Trump being indicted. That is that is a very, very you know, kind of low blow that 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 to me is, you know, really unfair showing a picture of Trump being indicted. And then the context is, well, Trump is being attacked by Democrats. So why is Trump then going and attacking Republicans? OK, come on. But here's the problem. Then uh, DeSantis, then the ad says that Trump is repeating old lies about Social Security and about how DeSantis wants to cut uh, Social Security, wants to cut entitlements for seniors. And and then the ad actually implies that Trump would be the one who cuts entitlements 
And Trump is lying about DeSantis, but really Trump is the one who wants to cut Social Security and cut Medicare and cut um, benefits and entitlements for elderly people, not DeSantis. So this is like a, a vicious ad, but here's my issue. My, and, and Trump deserves it. Okay, fine. But here, here's I have a, di- a totally different issue over here, which is politically speaking, what I really don't like is I don't like either Trump or DeSantis using Democrat talking points. Okay, that's what bothers me here is the Democrat talking points, which is that my, my opponent, he's going to cut your entitlements. He's going to cut your benefits. He, he's going he's to cut spending. They want to cut spending. I mean, you're, you, you really, you mean to tell, this is exactly what the Democrats do. These are the dirty tricks the Democrats pull, which is they say, you know, oh, Republicans, they want to take away your entitlements. They want to take away your benefits. Scaremongering. They scare old people into voting Democrat because the Republicans, they want to cut spending. And that's why all these Republicans, other than Rand Paul, are busy spending trillions of dollars, almost never discuss, they almost never discuss cutting spending because they're worried about these attack ads. Remember Paul Ryan, you know, with the wheelchair, they, they had an image of him like throwing an old lady off of a cliff from a wheelchair, literally, way back a few years ago. So that's what they do. But but that's a dirty tactic. We need to cut spending. It's, it's not that we're going to take away old people's entitlements. We need to get spending under control. I mean, the, the country is $31 trillion in debt and climbing, and uh, there's like a $2 trillion budget deficit. Uh, like 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 Biden like cut the budget, like cut, cut the budget deficit from like $2 trillion to like $1.5 trillion after after COVID spending. And he's sitting there like – you know, saying, hey, patting himself on the back, saying, well, look at this great thing that I did. I actually cut the budget deficit by half a trillion dollars or something like that. It's it's absurd. It's out of control. So now DeSantis is going to say to people, hey, don't vote for Trump. Vote for me because I'm not going to take away your entitlements. I'm not going to cut spending for seniors and scaring seniors. And Trump is sitting there sort of saying the same thing. Hey, DeSantis, he wants to cut spending for seniors. I hope both of them cut spending, not for seniors, but across the board. And, yeah, that's going to include seniors. It's going to include everybody. That's what we need to do because government spending is out of control. Okay, we're spending billions on illegals. That has to be cut. But, yeah, everything's got to be cut. All these entitlements, all these programs are totally, totally out of control. So that really bothers me, not so much DeSantis and Trump attacking each other, which obviously is going to be happening. But it's that they're using Democrat talking points against the other the other uh, opponent against the Republican saying, oh, that Republican, he wants to cut spending. Not me. I don't want to cut spending. It's called being a Reagan conservative. OK, it's it, it's called being normal. And you, and it's not like they're targeting seniors. Hey, we're going to cut spending on seniors. It's that spending for seniors, entitlement spending, Social Security, Medicare um, and a lot of health care uh, expenses that that takes up a massive, massive, massive chunk of the federal budget. All right. That's going to do it for today. And we will see you next time.